welcome to the Steelers Edge online training session featuring employment law expert Charlie Fuse tackling some questions and answers about service advisors' pay. Are they exempt or non-exempt when it comes to overtime or no overtime? Charlie Fuse is an employment law specialist with the firm of Kilpatrick, Townsend and Stockton, LLP, headquartered in Raleigh, North Carolina, and with offices nationwide. I'm Mike Bowers with Dealer's Edge. And, uh, you know, as far as what happens with the Trump administration, uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of questions out there that we're going to be seeing unfold over the next months. Um, so uh, we'll see where this goes. But for now, I think that's that's the best we can do. So with that, Mike, I'll, I'll ask if we've got any questions out there specifically about service advisors or uh, if there's anything else in the wage and hour front uh, maybe right. I can address. Uh, we do. Um, let's see where to start here. Uh, you mentioned uh, one aspect of the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act, Charlie, is the uh, is this idea of a of a salary test for overtime that if if an employee earns more than a certain amount of money, uh, they do not get overtime. Is that is that do I read that correctly? And and how would that impact our discussion today? Well. Um, salary alone does not make anybody exempt from overtime. There are certain exemptions under the law which require, as part of the qualifications to meet that exemption, a salary test. And the main ones are for executive, administrative, and um, professional employees and outside sales. And those are all under the, uh, as I told you, the, the other side of Section 13, the 13A uh, exemptions, what we sometimes call the white-collar exemptions. Um, so, you know, you need to meet the, the, all of the aspects of those definitions, executive, administrative, uh, outside sales, or professional. And if you meet those, and if you are paid a salary, you meet the salary test, uh, free and clear every week, regardless of how many hours you work, you get paid at least that salary, uh, then you you would be considered exempt. Now, that figure, that salary figure for uh, uh, many years has been 400, I think it's $473 um, per week. Uh, the Obama administration, uh, again, their Department of Labor proposed doubling that figure, which would take the salary test up to $47,000 and uh, and then indexing it so it continues to go up as the cost of living goes up. Um, but that uh, that proposed regulation, or that it wasn't proposed, that regulation has been enjoined by a federal court. So the salary level for the salary test is not increasing. Uh, it's not going to 900 and something dollars a, a week. Uh, and that's one where I think, again, at this point, uh, that's been enjoined by a federal court, and I could very easily see the Trump administration saying, we're going to withdraw that regulation. Uh, you know, the, a federal court has said that it's invalid, and we're not going to fight this fight in the court or anywhere else. We're just going to withdraw it and go back to the old salary test. So that's how the salary test works. That does not apply to people like service advisors. 
doesn't matter if they're paid a salary. That's not, you know, okay. this All is right, not so, relevant there. All right. So the fact that a service advisor might make seventy-five or eighty thousand dollars a year uh, is 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 irrelevant for for our purposes here. Other than it means if they did earn overtime, it would be a whole lot more money. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, what are the chances of Congress saving everybody a lot of trouble and simply amending the Fair Labor Standards Act uh, to specifically exempt service advisors the way they did for parts counter people? Yeah, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Um, you know, they should, and that would be an easy way to go about it. But unfortunately, as uh, as I think anybody who reads a newspaper knows, um, Congress hadn't been able to do much of anything lately on a, uh, you know, on a cooperative level. And this is one where, you know, the Republicans have the ticket now that they could, uh, you know, they could probably get it through the House of Representatives. But who knows if Democrats in the Senate would filibuster it. Um, I just don't think that that is a big enough ticket item, an important enough item that, uh, you know, that Congress is going to take it on unless they take on a broader amendment to the wage and hour law and this gets uh, slipped in there as kind of an add-on to maybe a broader approach to overtime or uh, minimum wage, something that possibly could happen um, in this political climate. Okay. Um the question on the, the minimum wage. Uh, okay, so we, we know that, that all employees have to earn at least the minimum wage. The question is for sales dealership salespeople uh, who are getting paid uh, on commission, if it, in a given week they don't sell any cars, uh, they still have to get paid minimum wage for the hours that they put in? That's correct. Uh, and and minimum wage is calculated on a weekly basis, and that's why most of the dealerships that I've worked with have a uh, draw against commission to ensure that their salespeople will get paid at least the minimum wage. Now, you know, one of the wacky things under the Fair Labor Standards Act, you could have a super car salesman who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year selling cars, but has a bad week and doesn't earn a nickel. And yet, if that person didn't make minimum wage during that week, um, they would be entitled to a uh, you know a minimum wage uh, payment for that week. And you know that's not that big a deal, seven twenty-five an hour, and the guy worked fifty hours, whatever. But you do not want to have a wage an hour claim brought against you because those things have a have a way of expanding to more than one employee and uh, you know more than one job category. So. Yeah, we need to make sure that our salespeople are paid minimum wage. Okay. Uh, question about how how do you calculate the overtime? Um, and I guess this would apply both to service advisors if you decided to go that route, uh, but for other other uh, people in the dealership who perhaps get paid a a salary or hourly rate uh, plus some commission. When you're calculating the overtime, do you look strictly at the base rate, or do you have to factor in the the entire compensation package? Overtime is based on the entire compensation package, so you have to look at um, if if they're paid hourly, then obviously it's one and a half times the hourly rate. If they're paid salary, 
you have to divide the salary, the weekly salary, by the number of hours worked uh, to arrive at a straight time regular rate, and then you uh, multiply that times one and a half for the overtime hours. Now, in a salaried situation, that number is going to change every week because their straight time rate is going to be different if they worked 50 hours than if they worked 55 hours, right? Mm -hmm. So there's more math involved in doing it that way. And then the real confusion comes when you've got commission payment. If the commission payment is made weekly, that's easy enough because you add the commission payment to the salary or hourly pay, and then you divide by the total number of hours worked, and that gives you your straight-time regular rate for the purpose of computing overtime. Where it gets more confusing is where commissions are settled on a less frequent basis, frequently, you know, a month, every month they get commission pay. And so what you have to do there, you have to go back and uh, there's two ways to do it. Uh, the, I think the, you know, the cleanest way is to apply that commission to the entire uh, month, divide by the number of hours worked, say 200 hours. That comes up with a straight time rate for commission payment. You multiply that by one and a half times, and and then on a per week basis, you adjust the pay for overtime for that commission. So let's say to make it as easy as possible, there's four weeks in a month. Uh, in the first week, uh, the person worked 50 hours. Second week, they worked 45. Third week, they worked 40. And the fourth week, they worked 40 again. So they get their commission payment at the end of the month. You add up all of the hours worked during the month, which there I think I just came up with 175 hours. You divide the commission by that, and then on a one-and-a-half times basis, you apply that to the number of overtime hours worked in the week. So in the first week, they worked 50 hours. They get 10 hours of overtime on the commission. In the um, second week, they get five hours. And then the third and fourth week, they don't get anything because they didn't work any overtime. And remember that when you're paying, all you're paying there is an overtime premium. You've already paid the commission for the straight time part. So you're actually just paying an additional half time. Okay. Uh, just like we have one more question. Uh, back, uh, I, and we think it was uh, when, with the 2011 Department of Labor ruling where they said service advisors uh, must be paid overtime. Uh, Congress got around that by saying, okay, you can, okay, that's your rule, but we, we prohibit you from spending any money to enforce your rule. Um, so it never got enforced at least for a year. Is that, is that sort of thing still going on or, or did Congress give up on it and just let the courts uh, settle it? Well, I think that and, and I don't remember exactly how that worked, but I think that's right, that they did say we're not going to, you know, and that's how Congress has been, you know, playing this game of polarized, uh, you know, infighting. But they simply didn't fund the Department of Labor to have any money to take that, uh, to take those new regs out there. Um, but they were published, so it's just a question of was there any enforcement activity that they could uh, that they could do, and frankly, I don't I don't know how that worked. I mean, obviously, they were in place enough that the Encino plaintiffs were allowed to rely on it 
um, to uh, to bring their lawsuit, and the Ninth Circuit um, addressed them and, and treated them as controlling. So it's not like that funding issue killed the regulations. I think they just kept it from, uh, you know, maybe creating an initiative where the Department of Labor sent, um, you know, agents out to do audits and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, I think that is the end of our questions, and we're just about out of time anyway. Uh, everybody in the audience, uh, you have Charlie's contact information there in front of you, uh, his email address and his telephone number. If you think of other questions you'd like to ask, uh, either on today's topic or on other issues related to uh, human resources in your dealership, I know one that gets another a, a lot of uh, conversation is the uh, Family Medical Leave Act uh, and how that applies in car dealerships. Uh, if you have questions about those sorts of things, feel free to contact Charlie. Uh, he'll be happy to give you a uh, his, his initial reading on it and talk to you more about those those issues that your dealership is facing. Uh, I'd like to remind everybody that we did record today's workshop. Uh, a lot of good information in the recording, uh, especially that I appreciated the history, the discussion of how we got to where we are today uh, and why this uh, subject is still kicking around in the courts. Uh, you may want to review that uh, tomorrow when you get the recording in your online library, uh, or you may want to share that with other people in the dealership, particularly those folks that, that deal with uh, payroll um, and, and finance in the dealership. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you for attending today. We had a nice turnout, uh, and uh, we recognize that it's not easy to take time out of your dealership day for uh, an online training program like this, and we appreciate you spending that time with us. I'd like to offer special thanks to Charlie Fuse from Kilpatrick Townsend uh, for putting today's workshop together uh, and for sharing his experience and expertise with us. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, welcome. Uh, okay. Uh, next week we take up a little different topic. A little, it, it, It's on compensation again. We're going to talk about pay plans that work. It will be presented by Jeff Sachs, who's, uh, who's a, another expert in pay plans. Hope you can join us then. Uh, and with that, I'm Mike Bowers for Dealer's Edge, saying goodbye for this week.